All right, if you have your Bible or some electronic device, you'll be looking at the text with us. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Um, I know sometimes we have folks who are, are new to Redeemer who will look up and go, hey, we only sang two songs. What's going on? We should have sung a little more. And we actually save the, the bulk of, of our worship through song for after the sermon. And we do that intentionally. Um, I think sometimes we can use music as a way of gearing up to try to make it through a sermon um, because it doesn't feel uh, maybe as emotional. So we, we try to kind of get ourselves fired up to make it through whatever the Lord is revealing to us through His Word. And instead, we, what we want to confess and say here at Redeemers, we believe that God most clearly, most frequently, most often speaks to us through His Word, right? Through the Spirit, through His Word. And so we want to save the, the songs, the things that we're singing back to Him to sing in response to God, thank you for what you've revealed to us through your Word this morning. And, and so often, um, I've, I've been in services where I've I've, the Lord has spoken through His Word, and then the service is over, and I'm like, oh, I, I wanted to sing out again. And so, um, if you're wondering if, if there's going to be more singing, more music, there will be um, after the sermon, and it, we do that intentionally. Um, so, listen, prior to the year 2020, the, in, in the last several years, I think it would have been fair to have said we lived in kind of an anxiety-driven culture. Right, like the, there's there's people talk about anxiety more and more. Um, there's tens upon tens of million of American adults um, who have been diagnosed with anxiety um, officially, let alone um, those who would struggle with it in, in smaller doses, maybe less frequently. And then 2020 happened, right? And so we could have preached kind of an anxiety-focused sermon last year, and no one would have blinked an eye. And now this year, it's like. So what was that about anxiety again, right? Like, that whether you want to think about it in regards to money, um, your retirement account or lack thereof, um, a job or lack thereof, um, whether you want to think about it in regards to decisions that are being made by parents um, all over the country right now in the weeks leading up to school, right? Do we, do we not? And, and just the, the anxiety-inducing decision-making that has, has come. Um, simply about health with COVID, um, you know, we'll go and throw in that there's an election coming in a few months, right? That for some of you is anxiety-inducing. Um, the lack of peace, um, just kind of racial unrest, like all of these things, uh, anyone on its own could create anxiety in your heart. And then we've just kind of decided we're going to do them all at one time. And so we're, we're, we're working through the book of Philippians, and Philippians is an interesting book because it's written from a Roman prison, right? That Paul's circumstances were not ideal as he's writing this letter. And he's writing it to a church that he loves, but it's a church that's facing opposition. Um, this is in the early 60s. I mean, if you're familiar with your Roman history, Nero is in charge and things are about to get a lot worse for Christians. And so there's rising tension, there's rising opposition. Um, not to mention the fact that simply like being alive in a fallen, broken world um, cr can create anxiety, right? And so Paul is writing from less than ideal circumstances to people in less than ideal circumstances, right? And he's going to have a word this morning um, for us in regards to anxiety specifically. And so he is pastoring this people um, and he's beginning to wrap up his letter. Chapter 4 is the last chapter we're going to 
in Philippians. And so let's pick up in verse 2. Paul writes, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Seneca to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is in any, ex- any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, before we look at anxiety specifically, we see in verses 2 and 3, there's some conflict. And, and, and listen, what Paul does in, in verse 2 and 3 is really unique for him in his writing. Um, he writes about issues in the church often. Um, he writes about groups of people who are having issues. He very rarely just calls people out by name, right? And so I want you to imagine this letter, I mean, it's being read to the church in Philippi, and whoever's reading it gets there, and they, they then just see, like, well, I'm about to say a couple of people's names who are sitting, listening to the reading of this letter, right? Like, the, this is a unique set of circumstances. Now, I think it's important for us to notice a couple of things. One, they're believers, right? Their names in verse 3 are in the book of life. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm not calling your, your salvation into question here. You, you're believers, he not only says that, but you've been useful to me in ministry. You have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So he says, listen, I'm not denying all the good that has happened, but ladies, we have an issue. And what's interesting is that he doesn't say what the issue is. It's, it's known. It's obviously known. He doesn't need to, it doesn't need to be brought up, but but most likely what has happened are these two faithful women have somehow parted ways. They're in one body, and groups are beginning to form around them. And so he says, listen, I entreat you. I beg you, Yodia and Seneca, agree in the Lord. And he asks a, a fellow worker, a true companion who doesn't go by a name here, help these women, right? Like he invites the body into it. He does not write a private letter to them, but he says, listen, you ladies, you know enough, you know better, and I'm going to invite the church into this. That the division, the grumbling, the murmuring that is happening, I've already told you, my hope for you, the only way you're going to stand against opposition is if you are steadfast together. And so ladies, what you're doing right now isn't steadfastness, it's not unified, and so I need you to come together in the Lord And then he just reminds people, listen, it doesn't mean they're unbelievers and it doesn't mean they haven't done good work. And so listen, this could be a sermon all its own, right? We're gonna gonna move on this morning, but I wanted to at least address it. A couple things here. One, Paul doesn't pick a side. He doesn't say, by the way, based on what I've heard, Seneca, 
You better apologize, right? He says, you're two godly women. Work it out. Figure it out. Bring about unity and peace again. Um, he, he involves the body. Listen, he doesn't say one of you needs to leave. He doesn't say, hey, I'm afraid that one of you is going to leave. It's the assumption, the expectation that when there's conflict, peace will happen. And peace will happen within the body with the body's involvement and awareness. Right? And, and I think often when we see conflict, we either want to be justified or we assume we cover shame. We carry shame. And Paul kind of puts them on display here and then says, listen, I know who you are. I know who you're going to be. People can know this, and it doesn't then negate all the good you've done. It doesn't mean you can't do ministry going forward. I'm just saying, you know, work it out. Don't divide this church. Don't create grumbling and murmuring. Deal with this appropriately as believers. So church, I think we can just take from this, there's an expectation that there's sometimes going to be conflict and we work it out, right? That as a family, we deal with this hard things, that we don't run away from it, that we live at peace, that we trust that unity and peace and reconciliation can happen, that this is a safe place to disagree and to come back into agreement, right? Like, I think today, if you were to to read this, and two of you got called out, there would just be this assumption of like, you done crossed a line, right? Like that that's too far, it's too much, and now I'm never going to go back there again. And Paul's not, doesn't seem to be afraid of that. He's not begging them, asking them. He's simply saying, deal with your conflict, and let's move forward in the gospel. Um, listen, this is a passage we'll probably have to deal with in the future some more. This morning, not so much, so we're going we're gonna to move on. So he continues then, and he follows in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So he basically just puts these two women right on display, says, hey, y'all work it out, and by the way, rejoice. In all things, rejoice. So you're thinking, Paul, I'm not sure if your tact here is just awesome. Like, that's, that's an interesting segue. So Paul's writing from prison. His circumstances aren't great. He's just called out a couple people in the church who are leaders. It's like he is literally, it, it almost would feel like we could say he's creating anxiety. Some of you can put yourself in these ladies' shoes real quick, and you're already feeling anxious. Like anxiety is creeping up in you. You're like, oh, I can't imagine like my, my issues being presented before the church. And Paul simply falls with rejoice. Listen, in verse 6, he's going to say, don't be anxious. And so in this anxiety is where we want to spend our time this morning. That he's going to tell him, I want you to rejoice in all circumstances, and we're going to come back around to that. But in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And so I think where we need to start is this, is, is anxiety a sin? Right? And so for some of you, your anxiety is rising currently in that phrase. Is anxiety a sin? Um, let's just define anxiety briefly um, as it's future fear, right? You're fearing something that might happen in the future today, right? And so fear would be something is happening right now, and I need to either flight or, you know, I need to run or I need to deal with this or I need to free. Like, I'm dealing with it now. Anxiety is saying, do you know what might happen then? And bringing that trouble to today, 
okay? Anxiety is future fear. Um, listen, there is legitimate fallenness in, in our world that has led to mental illness, right? And, and there is a diagnosed level of anxiety. We can see it in social anxiety and other forms of anxiety, right, that is medicated, that is treated by a doctor. We live in a fallen and broken world, and that's, we don't call sickness and illness in that regard sin, okay? We, we, we're going to apply the gospel to it, but we don't call it sin because there is brokenness in the world, just like we don't tell someone who has cancer, right, that they have sin because there's brokenness in the world, right? There's brokenness because of sin and rebellion. But here's the, the issue is that we've now taken anxiety from just being a diagnosed condition and we've made it kind of a junk drawer term. That whenever I feel something uncomfortable, I have anxiety, right? And we've made it this big term that feels weighty, but ultimately what it can often mean for some of us is a lack of trust in God. And that is sin. Listen, having concern for something that could happen isn't sin. Right? But when you begin to say, I don't trust God, and so this is going to overwhelm me, and I'm going to feel anxious about this, and it's going to cripple me, we can begin to move into sin. Right? If we have sinned, and now we are feeling anxious about being found out, right? it's been caused by sin, right? and we're not handling it appropriately. And so anxiety does not have to be sin, but it often can be. Okay? Listen, it's complex because we can mix the two together. That you can be diagnosed with anxiety that's being dealt with and treated in a medical fashion, and then your sin can creep in, right? Or you can say, hey, it's just my personality, it's just my temperament, I'm more prone to this, and we're not wrestling with, dealing with our lack of trust in God well. So we begin to self-medicate, right? We find ways to avoid figuring out why I don't trust God. Listen, one of the things that's happened in 2020 for many of us is our illusion of control in this world has been ripped away from us, right? Like, you kind of knew you weren't in control, but we could fake it really good together, right? Because you just got up, and and it's why we say things like, I can't wait for normal to return, right? Because in normal, you felt like you kind of knew what your week should look like, and you felt in control of your schedule, and you knew there would be minor blips every once in a while, but for the most part, we can move forward. And then 2020 happens, and you're like, oh, I'm not in control at all, and it's crippling me, and I, I don't know how to make decisions, and I'm fearful, and I'm worried, and I'm anxious, and we begin to realize, I don't know if I, if I trust God as much as I would have said I would have. Here's how this initially played out in my life as an adult. Um, I would have said I, I was not an anxious person, um, and, and then we had our first child. We had Carson a decade ago, and we're bringing, I think it's in the last month of pregnancy, and I'm thinking about bringing her home from the hospital, and I started thinking about every horrible thing I've ever heard in my life that could happen to a kid, right? Like there's one kid in one place one time that fell in a well, and now I'm like, man, wells are a huge danger, Right? <laughs> Or, like, and and I'm just thinking of every bad news story I've ever heard, and I'm like, I'm just picturing holding her walking around like, I will fight you. Like, I will fight you now. Like, what do I have to do to protect her? And then I'm like, oh, wait, but there's stuff that can come in internally, 
oh man, how am I going to keep her well? And like, I started to like spiral because I'm thinking of all the horrific things that might happen, that could happen, that I couldn't stop from happening. I'm like, I can control some of it. I can't control all of it. And I can control far less than I wanted. And I remember literally, I was driving this block, just a block north, headed home one day, and I'm like, I'm going to lose my mind for real, or I'm going to have to trust Jesus. I mean, it was just this very clear, like, I can't control her future, or Jude's, or Janner's. And so am I going to trust that God is sovereign, and if he leads us into difficulty, sickness, tragedy, violence, I mean, if, if some of those things happen in this fallen, broken world to my daughter or to my sons in my life, am I going to trust that God's going to meet me there or not? And this can't be, like, theoretical anymore. It has to be, it's going to be a, a deep anchor of my soul, or I don't know if I can do this parenting thing. And I remember just asking, Jesus, please help me. And him meeting me there. Right? Like, listen, if I, if I want to feed that right now, I can, I can feel anxious again. Like, I can run back into that. And there are moments where you're worried or fearful about, but like this, that, that sense of I'm going to lose control, I'm not going to be able to do this, like, it, it began to fade away as Jesus reminded me of, of the goodness of who he is, and that I, he will meet me, and that I can trust him, right? And, and so this is the conflict this morning, is we have real reason to be anxious because we live in a fallen world, and we have an enemy who's looking to devour you, who likes to whisper lies into your ear to allow your mind and your heart to run away from God, to not trust him to continue to bring your attention to things that will discourage you, that will destroy peace. And he will lie, and he will steal, and he will do it, right? He will take your thoughts, right, and, and give you things to run after that are not of the Lord. And so that's the world we live in, where there are legitimate broken things, there's legitimate sin, and we have an enemy. And so listen, don't hear me say this morning that if you're feeling anxious, like it's all a sham, like there's nothing to be anxious about. That's not what Paul is saying. And we're, and we're not alone. If you feel like you're the only one who's anxious, you're not. But what Paul's going to do here is he's going to bring us into the battle. Right? He's going to give us some, some things to war with today. Look, look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he ends verse 9, and the peace of God will be with you. So he just starts with, church, you're at peace, right? We have peace available to us because of God. First and foremost, you're at peace because you know God, right? That you've been put at peace with Him. Listen, if you're not at peace with God, you should feel anxious, right? Because you have the God of the universe who is holy, right? And who hates sin, whose wrath will be poured out on it. And that sin will be punished. And so there are two options that we will stand before God one day and you will stand without Jesus. And so his wrath will be poured out on your sin and you'll be separated from him for all eternity. Or Jesus can pay the penalty of your sin. And he did it at the cross, 
in his perfect life, he goes to the cross and he takes the wrath of God. Our unbelief, our sin, our outward rebellion, our inner rebellion, all of these things, and he pays for it, right? And so if you trust Jesus, that in that moment at the cross, he secured for you peace with God, then you're at peace with God. Like he has rescued you and made you his own. Salvation has put us at peace with God in Christ. But the second is this, is not only was salvation secured at the cross, but victory was secured, right? Like the enemy was wiped out. The power of sin was broken as well. And our enemy knows there is a day where they will be destroyed for all time, right? We say it this way, the power of sin was broken at the cross. The penalty of sin was paid for, but we can continue to live in the presence of sin until Jesus returns or he takes us home in death. And at that point, there will be no longer a presence of sin. There will all have been wiped away. In the moment, we live in the presence of sin. It's why we can still see things to be anxious about. But do we trust that our God is king and he is one and the victory is assured? And so if we're not just at peace with him, but we're at peace because we're on the winning side. In John 14, 27, Jesus, as he's talking to the disciples towards the end um, of his ministry prior to the cross, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he, he continues, he says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back, right? Like it's going to look like a loss, but victory is coming. So you can be at peace, and it's going to be a peace that the world can't offer because you're at peace with me, and I'm going to be victorious, right? He then, when he sees the disciples for the first time after his resurrection, and he shows up and they're huddled in the room, scared and wondering, what, did we miss this? Were we wrong? He walks in and the first thing he says to him is, peace be with you. He's saying, well, I told you victory was at hand. Peace be with you. And so church, would we just be reminded this morning that in Christ we are at peace with God in salvation and in victory. Look at verse 5 then. So let your reasonable, reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. So the second thing is not just peace with God, but it's the nearness of God. Church, I think often in West Texas, we like to talk about the cross because in the cross we find salvation. We like to talk about the life of Jesus because in that we have an example to follow. We don't often talk about the resurrection beyond Easter. And the resurrection matters because guess what? Today, your songs are not bouncing off the roof and the walls here. Your prayers are not being heard merely in your own head or to those that you're praying out loud. They are being received and heard by Jesus, right? By, by our Heavenly Father. Like, they are being heard because He is alive. He is not waiting someday to become alive. He is alive today, and it matters because He intercedes on your behalf. He has given us access back to the Father. So he is saying, listen, I am near. It's why we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. And listen, we can nod our head at some of these things this morning, but I want you to consider the, the deeper implications of them. Jesus 
has secured adoption for you. In salvation, you're now sons and daughters of the king. It means you're part of the family. He says in, in his strong hand, right, that nothing can remove us. Like our salvation is secure, not because of you, but because of God. He gives us access in prayer. He says you can boldly a- approach the throne room of God. Why? Because you're a son or daughter of the king now. You get to walk in, right? He says that he will intercede in Hebrews on our behalf. He knows us. He's walked this life in its difficulty, in the betrayal, and the hurt of relationships. He understands. And so the question that Paul is really reminding them of is this, is do you trust Jesus? Like, do you know his character well enough that you feel like you can trust his goodness? The goodness of our God. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching And he says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on it. And then he goes through and he just begins to give reasons why. Right? He talks about the birds of the air and he talks about the flowers of the field. So in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, meaning the pagans, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like God loves you, and He proved it at the cross. And when he rescues us, he's saying, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Can you trust my character? Can you trust my faithfulness? Can you trust that I'm going to keep my promises? And we're like, yeah, we can do that. We're good. Oh, God, I'm so anxious, right? And we're like, what, how, do these things, how do these things come together? Listen, Exodus is a great place for us to see our own difficulty in this. That in Exodus, God rescues his people out of the hands of Egypt and takes them into the wilderness, and he has rescued them and made them his own, and he is showing his might and his power in tremendous miracles. And what do the people do? They grumble and they complain, and they're like, You let us out here to die. And so then God gives them manna, and he says, Hey, only take what you need for today. And it'll be there tomorrow. What is he doing? He's teaching them, trust me that I'm going to meet you today and I'll do it again tomorrow. What do they want? They want control. So they're like, I'm just going to take it all today. God, I'm not sure if you'll be here. So I'll, I'll take care of me. And it rots and it spoils and it goes bad. He's like, trust me. With food, I've got you. With my presence, I've got you. Like what he's saying is, Can you trust me that what I bring to you today, I will give you the grace you need to face today? And I will do it again tomorrow. And I'll do it again the day after that. And I'll do it again in 10 years. And I'll do it again in 40 years. And when you think about losing a spouse, or you think about cancer, you think about a child's sickness, and all these things that can just make your mind go nuts, he's like, if those things come, I'll meet you in them. I will sustain you. I will give you the grace and the mercy you need then. You do not have it today. 
And so listen, church, if you bring tomorrow's trouble, if you bring future fear to today, you do not have what you need to deal with that today. You don't. And so he says, let today's trouble be today's trouble, and I will meet you in it. Do not bring what-ifs and could-bes and oh-my-goodness to today. It's like trust the character and the goodness of God today and tomorrow and the day after. And so what does he tell them now? It's not just that we have peace with God and nearness of God. So he tells them in verse 6. So don't be anxious about anything. feels impossible. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's like, so here's what I want you to do. When you feel anxious, will you take it to God in prayer? Why? Because He is alive. Because He is powerful. Because victory is won. He knows you. He is capable. He's saying, you come to me and I will meet your needs. So take them to God. Listen, it's, it's not like this command, don't be anxious, right? Saying it's an invitation. You don't have to be anxious. You can bring these things to God who knows you and loves you, who will meet you with grace and mercy and sustain you. You're not going to think your way out of anxiety with the power of positive thinking, right? You can try, and on little things, it might, it might work for a little while, but it doesn't last. Right? He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication. He's saying, I want you to bring it to the one who knows you, knows how you're knit together, knows your personality, knows your sin, knows your temperament, knows your struggle, and trust that the God of the universe can minister to you. They don't minister to you. Listen, he is asking these really hard things of us in the book of Philippians. He's saying, I don't want you to grumble. I want you to be humble. I want you to not be anxious. What's the point? Like, I hope what you're thinking is, I can't do those things exactly. Right? Like, we can't figure out a pattern to make this work so that we've got it figured out. What is the answer then? Look at verse 19 of chapter 4. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, why do you go to him in prayer? Because he has access to it all and he's going to give it richly and deeply and completely to you. He's going to meet you in this. Listen, for some of you, it's going to be a long road. Part of what God is, is shaping you with is, is stuff that you're anxious about. Or maybe you deal with legit diagnosed anxiety. And so what you're doing is you've got this thorn that's saying, do you trust Jesus today? And am I going to trust him again tomorrow? And, I, and, and maybe the thorn gets removed and maybe it doesn't. And yet the question is, is do I trust the goodness of God that nothing is wasted on this side of heaven and that he will sustain me? And then in my weakness, his strength is perfected. Like, do I believe these true things or do I look to take back control, which I don't really have anyway? 
For others, God is going to quickly remove it, and it's not going to be as much of a struggle anymore. And I can't tell you why. For some of you, it'll be the first, and for others, it'll be the the latter. But do we trust, right? Here's the question. Do we trust the goodness and the character of God to meet us? When your kid is scared at night of the dark, unless it's been, you know, several hours of this, you're probably not going to walk in the room and be like, don't be afraid, go to sleep, right? You're going to walk in and you're going to say things like, hey, hey, look, let's turn on the light, see, everything's good, there's nothing in here scary. Turn back the light, right? Mom and I are in the next room. I'll sleep on this bed beside you, right? Like you're giving them reasons why they shouldn't be afraid, right? It's just your toys. We're here. Like you're giving them real, true, and right things, And that is what God is doing to us this morning as you think about anxiety. He's saying, I'm present with you. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be anxious. I'm with you. My promises are true. I'll meet you tomorrow. There's a day of victory at hand. Right? Is why he says the Lord is at hand. He is near. And his strong hand will sustain us. Day in and day out. Listen, this morning, if you believe that walking with Jesus means there won't be difficulty, that's not what Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches is, I've got you. And it's not wasted. It's intentional. It's, 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 it's for your good. And there will be a day where every tear will be wiped away. And he's going to just kind of end with this of like, yes, we go to God in prayer, but we also have to watch our intake, what our appetite is being filled with. So finally, brothers, whatever is true, what is honorable, what is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So he's saying, listen, if you only take in bad news, it's going to be really hard for you not to be anxious. If you only take in um, media without the Word of God, you are going to be an anxious, angry person, like fearful of all the bad So he's saying you've got to take in these things of the the promises and the truths of the character and the goodness of God for your mind to wrestle and to deal with and to begin to put anxiety at ease because God is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what's the result of our our prayers and our appetite What you have learned in verse 9, what you've received, what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And then Peter says it this way in verse 6, chapter 5. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Think of that strong, powerful, victorious, saving hand, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, So cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Church, you will be exalted in Jesus' return. You will get honor for all time, even if there is shame in this life. You get honor for all time. You will be exalted. So we trust that his hand is mighty, that he cares for us, and that he will sustain us. And I want to give one, one application of this. Because he starts this with rejoice. Rejoice in all circumstances. Rejoice in everything. How? Because we belong to him. 
and because he's at work and nothing will be wasted. So one application, in November there's going to be an election. Somebody's going to win it. And the day after the election, there's some things that are true regardless of who wins. God is still on his throne. His hand is still mighty. You can still cast your anxieties upon him. The mission hasn't changed. It is to glorify God regardless of our circumstances, whether they become easier or they become more difficult, whether there is persecution or whether there is rejoicing. Our, our mission does not change. We are not alone. We trust the God who has come for us, that He is on His throne, that He is at work, and He is moving, and we can trust Him, and we love our neighbor, right? So He's saying we rejoice in all circumstances. That means your candidate wins, you rejoice, not because they won, but because God is in control and on His throne. If your candidate does not win, you rejoice because God is on His throne, and the mission hasn't changed to trust God and to love our neighbor and to glorify Him in all circumstances. And if you're like, there's no one I want to win, right? The mission hasn't changed. The trust hasn't changed, and God is still on His throne. So church, He's saying, don't be anxious about November. Don't be anxious, but trust God is going to meet you in whatever circumstances come our way, that He is faithful that we get to turn to Him and He will meet us in our prayers and guard our hearts and minds with peace. And if you do that a thousand times today, then a thousand times you're obedient. Right? And if you've got to do it a thousand more times tomorrow, then we're going to do that. So church, this morning, the band is going to come back up. There'll be some folks in the back of the room if you need to, to pray with someone or talk with someone. It may be that you need to repent because the anxiety you feel is that you're at war with God and you're not at peace. But he, would you hear him call your name this morning so you can be in the family, you can be mine? Not because of anything you've done, but because of what I did in my life, my death, and my resurrection. For some of you, it may be that you know that your anxiety is not um, a diagnosed thing, it's just a lack of trust, and you just need to confess it and repent this morning, asking God to meet you in it, to glory and to worship that you don't have to wrestle with that. It may be that you need to ask for new eyes, right? to see Jesus as alive and powerful and good, far surpassing any anxiety of this world. That we would be a Psalm 139 people. We would ask him to search us and try us this morning, letting us know of any of our anxious thoughts, that we could show trust. And when it feels impossible... When it feels impossible to rejoice about prison, to rejoice about having not to murmur, when, it, when we have conflict, when it, that it would let us lean into Jesus, that He has rescued us and made us His, and that He will work out everything for life and godliness in our life, that we trust and turn to Him. We strive after, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Jesus, it feels sometimes that the, the word anxiety can, can create anxiety. And Father, that sometimes we, we would look at 
prayer and at trusting you is, is too simplistic, that we need something more, and yet you are the Lord of the universe, and you know us better than we know ourselves. So, Father, would we trust you? Would we trust that if we cast our anxieties upon you, that your mighty hand will meet us, that you will guard our hearts with peace and our minds with peace? And, God, that we wouldn't, that you have not told us it's a one-time thing, that we continue to trust and continue to meet you in your mercy and grace moment by moment and day by day. So, Father, for those of us whose faith is small this morning, God, would you grow it as you meet us in those things? For those who have, who have given themselves over to their anxiety, God, would they lean into you again and would you bring hope and peace to their hearts and their minds because you are near. God, we need you. We confess that. We're going to need you in the days and the weeks and the months coming. Father, would we become a people who would fight for peace and nearness because you've won those things for us, that our appetite would be filled by those. In Jesus' name, amen.